This is a Need 10 Media production. All right, welcome aboard, my friends. It's Nate Kleber again. In this episode, I get to introduce you to someone that has heard about every business idea, maybe good, maybe bad, maybe still questions some, some ideas he's heard. Uh, that anybody maybe can come up with. But I met Mike Hahn about 13 years ago as I was thinking back. And that's when I thought I wanted to be an entrepreneur and didn't quite have the guts to do it just yet. But uh, Mike, I don't know if you remember this or not, but how we met. But I had an idea for a travel magazine that I thought was going to be the bee's knees. But you and your colleague, Dan Binkin at the time, helped me see a different light. Do you Welcome to the show first off. But do you remember that interaction about 13 years ago? Boy, vaguely, vaguely, Nate. You didn't do it, huh? Yeah, things things don't happen for a reason. <laughs> what was the problem? Were our projections a little bit uh, too bad for you or what? How come you didn't well, take the you big know, dive? I, well, I think when I got into it and uh, I was in a room and I don't, I, I think Dan was leading it uh, a session downtown Waterloo in the regional business center that, that you guys had. And I think somebody was trying to start a business on knitting stocking hats and then all these other things. And I'm like, okay, am I a weird person just like these other people that are in here that have all these different ideas they think they're going to make a million dollars on? And I'm like, am I ready for this? You know, when you really start thinking, what's it cost, the time, the the energy, or even the dollars it takes, to, or the dollars you're not going to make early on or lose, that it was like, yeah, do I do I really want to do this? Do I really want to do this? As as I was going through there, and uh, you know, print starting a print publication uh, in this time probably wasn't the best idea anyway. But Mike, I want to I want to beckon back. I want to I want you to think back uh, to high school. As you were graduating, what did you think you would be doing after you left high school? What did you think your pathway was? Wow, that's almost 40 years ago. So I'm actually having my 40th reunion next year, back in um, May of 1982. Um, I was just kind of like deciding, what, what do I want to be when I grow up? And I always had this desire to get in uh, somewhat of a development, uh, especially into commercial type development. I grew up in Mason City, Iowa. And at that time, when I was in junior high and high school, the community was really going through a process as far as what are they going to do to revitalize the downtown? You know, what they did was an urban renewal project, basically uh, took out a good portion of their downtown, demolish it and built a regional shopping mall, which is known today as Southbridge Mall. That intrigued me intrigued me a lot to where I was, I didn't know I needed a college degree. My dad was a cop. Uh, my mom worked uh, part-time. So there wasn't a lot of money there from the standpoint as far as education. So I did uh, two years at North Iowa Area Community College, Mason City, to kind of save some money. And then I got my pre-baccarat. I was going to go to the University of Iowa and pulled off at the last minute, made the choice to go to the University of North Iowa and graduated from there. So you were thinking commercial real estate as a, as a 17, 18 year old kid was something that you were interested in. What was it at that age and that project going on in the community that you feel like kind of opened your eyes? Because I would, I would say that would be unusual for a high school kid to maybe be thinking something like that. Or what, what were you drawn to in that? You know, it, it was a little bit of, um, of uh, you know, commercial real estate was, was a big part of it, but the other but the other side of it was revitalization, um, seeing what could be done with that downtown district in Mason City. I can remember the paper that I put together on it my sophomore years, stating that, you know, these are these are developments, these are major developments that need to be basically reinvented every generation. That's what happened. 
I kind of went into college. First, I was going to kind of, you know, get into city planning. And then I was looking at, well, I don't know what I want to do. You know, I'm going to go into marketing. And then I found out that, that my time at UNI that, you know, I was on the tail of the baby boomers. That's when enrollment was pretty high. I found out that I really couldn't get into one marketing class until my next year, which would have extended me. So I went to the public relations side of things. So uh, I kind of talked to myself as being a jack of all trades uh, with that degree. Uh, it, it served me well, right. It kind of allowed me to open doors that probably would have been closed. From that standpoint, I've kind of built a career of being a builder of communities and entrepreneurs, as I call myself. You get a chance to listen to people's business ideas and you know, I guess that goes back to that redevelopment in Mason City. It was going to take some entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial thinking to do some redevelopment and come up with some some businesses or start businesses or open businesses or things like that in that space. Am I am I connecting those worlds? Is that how it maybe came about? You know, you know, you, you are Nate. I, I mean, you know, at the time it was the right thing to do. Um, when we were looking at urban renewal projects and doing the things we thought we were doing the right. I'm even going to go a little bit further back to my youth. And I remember growing up in Mason City. My mom never drove. So we depended upon uh, public transportation. So I remember, you know, two times a week getting on the bus with my mom. We would go downtown. Downtown was kind of my um, vacation sort of saying. And I remember going to Raises Department Store. I remember going to places like the Golden Rule to buy my jeans. I remember reading comics at the Read More bookstore. I remember the Palace Theater. I remember walking down to Osco Drug and getting my, my parents' prescriptions. And then we would go to Fairway in downtown. That's where my dad would pick us up at the end of the day. When the mall was built, it took out a lot of those, what I call businesses that really have uh, deep roots in the community that people have a tendency to remember. In retrospect, it kind of served as a way for me to kind of jump into, I want to really help small businesses. I really want to encourage and be an advocate for small businesses. There's a term these days, and it's called about, it's, it's all about scaling up. It's all about taking that great idea and pitching it and then see what you can do to scale up with uh, a business concept. You know, here in the Mankato area, we've had great example of this, Angie's Kettle Corn. You know, that was something that was started here by a local entrepreneur. It was financed with uh, credit cards initially, and eventually it was sold to ConAgra. Uh, I had an opportunity to see a company in North Dakota called Dots Pretzel, uh, which kind of blew up. Uh, she started it uh, in the early, probably around 2011. And then this past year, it was sold to ConAgra for $1.6 billion. Uh, those are great. But I, know, I have friends now that work at Angie's Kettle Corn, and they would tell you that, you know what, I'd rather work with Angie instead of ConAgra. And so I think it's important for us to have that element to kind of create that diversity within our economy that I think maybe we're losing here a little bit, Nate. Let's scale deep. Let's see what we can do to help our companies locally in creating those jobs locally, also in contributing back to the community and be a part of the community, because that's what's essence of those businesses in our communities, what makes each community unique in its own sense. And I think looking back at my time, as far as, you know, being kind of um, focused on Southbridge Mall and seeing those anchor stores going in there and taking out the hometown businesses, it was a lesson learned. I think it's a lesson learned that uh, many who have been involved in urban revitalization say, well, maybe that wasn't a good idea back then. Well, you look at it now, Mike, of many of those malls are shells and businesses are returning to Main Street. 
but they're also uh, going online, if you will, to serve even a, a broader audience. Talk a little bit about that full circle that you've seen happen a little bit, plus the online thing in your, in your world of, of assisting entrepreneurs and advocating for that. Looking at it from just my hometown's experience, because it is in Iowa, it's a Mason city from the standpoint that, uh, uh, yeah, the mall really thrived in that first 20 years of business. Um, and then like every other mall, um, everybody basically went to online. Uh, we saw some anchors really getting into trouble. And now we're seeing a little bit of a reverse um, from that standpoint in Mason City with uh, homemade type uh, businesses. And a lot of it goes back to Nate is that uh, in, in many of our communities, we rediscovered our roots, which is historic preservation. And in my hometown's uh, situation, it was uh, in the Frank Lloyd Wright uh, Prairie School Architecture Design at the Park Inn Hotel. That was kind of the nucleus. And that kind of created, uh, it created a lot of friction within the community, but it also brought the community together to reemphasize. There's plenty of breweries, there's plenty of uh, eateries that have uh, developed outside the mall in some of the historic buildings downtown which have taken off from that standpoint. And we're seeing it here in Mankato. I saw it up in Fargo. I see it in Waterloo, Cedar Falls as well. And it's those local businesses that are having a tendency to rebuild. They're kind of creating that niche. So we are coming full circle. But I also think that the pandemic's changed us as well. I think uh, the traditional type of uh, mercantile building that was built in the turn of the 20th century, 20 feet uh, wide, maybe 60 to 80 feet deep, is idea in this new era where, you know, if you want to order something from an Amazon or something like that, you can, but you're not going to get the customer service. You're not going to get the specialization. I bike, bicycle that is. And boy, I like to go down to my local bicycle store in downtown St. Peter and get his input and get his idea as far as what I need for a bicycle. Unfortunately, my wife are approaching the age and we have quite uh, the plus here in the Mankato area that uh, we're now thinking about getting some uh, e-bikes to help us get us, us up those hills. So we're kind of utilizing his expertise and seeing what we can do from there. So, you know, you talked about, you know, businesses you saw growing up and, and as you evolved into that, into that system and, and even the work you've done in Waterloo, Cedar Falls, Fargo, uh, Mankato, Minnesota. Now you do get those people come in, uh, whether uh, it's some guy with a travel magazine idea uh, or, or what, you know, that they want to be an entrepreneur. And, and I would say I saw a lot of it pre-pandemic of start your business. Some took the risk and did it during that time. It's, it's harder in a labor market when you have so many jobs out there that people really do have to think about if they're going to take that risk. But talk about the people that, that come in to, to see you or that have used uh, your services and your expertise uh, in, in your career and working with small business and entrepreneurs, the challenges, you know, that, that you see and, and even the traits of the, the ones that actually pull it off that are, are still going. It hasn't gotten any easier, uh, Nate. I think it's gotten more difficult, especially in this post-pandemic era. Also, I think from the standpoint that there is much more interest today in entrepreneurship than what there was, uh, I, I think, any other time. That, that I've been involved in my career today, people are doing it differently. Where, you know, you came in 15 years ago and other clients would come in, they were looking at going, essentially taking that uh, dive off the board and into the business full time. So they were looking at what they can do to obtain financing. 
this day and age, it's a little bit different. People are looking at starting things off to the side, keeping their W-2 job full-time um, in some aspects, and, or they're seeing what they can do to live a little bit smarter, maybe living off of uh, a significant other's income while they build the business on the side. So we're not seeing as many um, what I call first-time entrepreneurs. Uh, they're bootstrapping. They're seeing what they can do. They're exchanging ideas with other entrepreneurs. They're uh, even getting to a point where they're exchanging trade secrets and inventory with those that are outside the market to kind of get some ideas. So it's a little bit different today. And also with the advent of the internet, you can create an online platform. But we really see people, they want to create that uh, relationship. And so people are doing it a little bit differently now in starting their businesses. They're getting into such things as far as uh, farmers markets, street fairs, community events that allow type of uh, activities or commerce that allows them to exchange goods. So we're seeing a little bit of difference there. And that's kind of serving as the beachhead in getting people to build their business so they can build that customer base and then expand their business from there. Food trucks, here's another idea. Yeah, I've seen guys go from food stands to events, to food trucks, to uh, where they have evolved into uh, brick and mortar type operations over the long haul as well. So it's a little bit uh, different than what it was pre-pandemic. Um, also, our operations has changed as much. Uh, you know, you asked me, what did I want to do in high school? When you think about it, when I was in high school, the two jobs that I've been involved in, downtown revitalization and small business development, uh, those were brand new. Those were those are even, they were just being prototyped and tested at that time in creating um, um, concepts in this industry. So, you know, what I want to do in high school, the two jobs that I've been involved with, downtown development and small business development, those are even weren't even think of back in the day. Yeah, you see where it all connected. But think back to when, when you first learned that leading or working in a small business development center was a thing. You know, do you think back to that time, there was probably some catalyst from some from some government funding i imagine to try and drive some some of that uh within communities but i gotta think you're like that's a job so not to use the the name of the show but that's that's kind of where it's at of that's a job and and along the ways you probably discovered some more things like that exactly um you take a look at you know small business development center i mean yeah there's federal funds available to you're involved as far as creating that uh, that level of service in which clients are happy with, that uh, they will endorse you. And then you can get community supporters on board to basically help fund your center from that aspect. In Minnesota, uh, centers are, receive about 50% of their funding from the feds, 25% from the state, and then 25% comes from the community at large. Some, some of it comes from our hosts, not much, to Minnesota State University Mankato. We get some funding off of that, but a lot of it also comes from the community at large. So municipalities, counties, um, banks, uh, accounting firms, attorney offices are con contributions to our program here. When I worked in downtown development, it was a little bit different. In some communities um, are funded entirely by memberships or by sponsors. In some communities, you work with your local jurisdiction and you create uh, these self-taxing zones called business improvement districts. In Iowa, I think they're called the self-supported municipal improvement district or SMIDs. And those are help create the entity to help basically manage your downtown district. Uh, some people will say, well, that's kind of free money. Oh, that's a really great idea. No, it's not free money from the standpoint that 
you also have to kind of go about, at least in my time in Waterloo, it was once every two years. My time in Fargo it was once every five years. So you had to go out and basically get the, get the taxpayers who are supporting you to petition in to approve it and an overwhelming 60% majority so that uh, the city council that uh, administers that program will go ahead and see the value of it and approve it and extend it over time as well. I guess what I'm saying, Nate, is that even though that these are somewhat uh, pseudo-government positions, uh, they do require a lot of entrepreneurship. They do require a building that customer base and making sure that you have good customer service from the standpoint of your business venture. Yeah, and you you talked about SMIDs and you talked about, you know, some of these districts and things like that. And, you know, people are probably familiar with the, the label Chamber of Commerce, but there's a lot of other organizations that have developed over the last 30 years, let's say. Those listening out there, no matter where you're at, you've probably been in an area that, uh, let's just say an entertainment district that's got bars and restaurants and stores and you're like, wow, this is a great looking place. It was somebody's job to organize that to figure out the funding, to figure out the permissions from government and things like that to, to make that happen. There's a lot that goes into something like that, probably even looking back to your time in Fargo, because I think during your time, and it was, I think the, the ball was already rolling, downtown Fargo or the area you're in, that kind of became a, a revitalized area that people were drawn to. Is that right? That's absolutely right. In, in, in Fargo's situation, it was a little bit different. Uh, Kind of a kind of a little bit of a story I share I'll share with you is when I first came to town they would say well you know we're going to put this business improvement district or as I would call it SMID together and I had experience with that in Waterloo you know I read through the code and everything and it, and there's a stipulation within the code that state state code that states that uh, a community with 10,000 or more population could not create such a district so you know. Fargo's population is about 120,000. It was like, oops, that's not going to work for us. So we had to broaden our base. Instead of just going district-wide, we had to go statewide. I mean, when you take a look at North Dakota's population, it's probably about the size of the more metro, about six to 700,000. But you had to create those uh, relationships. You had to create that coalition and build that coalition with such communities like Minot, Bismarck, Grand Forks, uh, Williston bring them on board, educate them about why a self-taxing district is important. Had to go in and to different uh, legislative committees on both the House side and the Senate side in Bismarck at the state capitol and testify to them as far as the reasons why we needed to do this. And we were able to do that with 94% of support of the legislators. And we got that basically removed. We got the bid in place, and it's really kind of created an environment in downtown where it's clean, safe, maintained, and promoted in downtown Fargo, where um, it's just a great thing to see and see once you have that kind of collaboration within the property owners and also city government. It increases the um, confidence of investors to invest in a place like that. That's uh, really cool to see all that kind of come together and, and sustain and maintain together. Yeah, you talk about that of getting there and and you're probably brought in to to help create that. And then you discover, uh, hold on a minute, we can't do it yet. And you had to you had to get into politics a little bit. You had to play that game. And uh yeah. and that's something that uh you don't expect to maybe have to get involved in, but that's part of it, right? And and probably a lot of the the interactions you had with different personnel and people and staffers and all that 
going through the process in the state, you're, uh, you probably had another thing of uh, what is this job? Who's, what is this role? What is this? You know, all these uh, things that you had to get through uh, to problem solve. My favorite community, and a lot of people look at me because you know, they, look at, they look at me like, what? It was Waterloo, Iowa. Um, I think Waterloo has a lot of things going for it. And it's really a community that's kind of picked itself up from its bootstraps and turned things around. When I came there in 1996, I came from, you know, doing a Main Street project in Waverly, about 15 miles to the north, community of 10,000 or less. And here I am in Waterloo, Iowa, where we had five organizations that were working on downtown development. And this was 1996, 1998. And boy, we had to take some time. It took about two years to get those organizations together and to create one Main Street, Waterloo. And here it is, 2022, that occurred around 1996, 1998, and it's still going strong today. It's getting everybody on the same page, getting everybody on the same page from the private sector and the public sector and maintaining you know, that synergy to move things forward from that perspective. Talking a lot about this, some of the skill sets that, that you had to use, there were some things probably along the way you had to learn when it comes to some of that soft skill, durable skill or whatever that you don't learn in a classroom. You learn from experience and you learn from others. Talk about some of those key things. And that's been a trend in the podcasts that I've had on. It gets into skill set. You don't hear anybody talk about the true technical skill that they needed in their work. It was those other skills that you just have to acquire along the way. Talk about gaining those and the key ones that you felt like you needed or you found out that you needed. Uh, number one was patience, you know, from the standpoint, uh, you know, when you're a young college graduate and you really want to take on the world, um, you think you know it all, but you really don't. You really need to learn the patience. You really need to learn the process of uh, being incremental, creating that goal of objective, but uh, kind of dissecting it into uh, smaller pieces and then utilizing those as building blocks to kind of uh, get you eventually to that goal. And, and, and also, also from the standpoint, time. You know, you have to invest the time you have to create those relationships. You know, I can re remember my first job in Waverly, Iowa, where, uh, you know, you go in the grocery store on Sunday afternoon and somebody will be asking you about downtown, you know, and, and sometimes that kind of gets a little bit of, you, you live in a small town, Nate, you know where I'm coming from there. And it's kind of like, you know, you got to create that separation and you got to learn with the family of how to create that separation and making sure that you take a vacation, um, maybe twice a year, or if you're fortunate enough, maybe a quarterly, but getting away from things and being, being able to recharge your batteries. Those are things that you kind of learn on the job. You know, I think uh, a scale that is very much needed. Um, I still see it at the local level, but just bipartisanship, um, getting people together to come out with some common ground and moving forward on what we can do to do things differently. Give you an example here. I'm not located on campus at Minnesota State Mankato. I'm actually in downtown Mankato in an area called uh, Old Town. I have a basically a six lane road in front of me, uh, two for parallel parking, and then four for basically just uh, uh, ease of access. You know, the biggest thing that we have going on next week is that we're gonna go on a road diet. We're gonna prototype it. We're going to see what it will take. You know, we're getting a lot of pushback here as far as, you know, is this the right thing to do? Um, let's see it. Let's give it a chance. Let's give it an opportunity, but also let's look at this a little bit differently as far as if we don't do it, you know, what are we losing out on? 
And people are saying, well, it's going to take me an extra 15 seconds to get from one end of town to the next. Yeah. So uh, are you a proponent of that? Or are you a proponent of reduced property taxes? Because if we do this and do it right, we should see some infill projects going in. We should see some nice rehab buildings being redone that's going to increase the property tax base within this district and really make things pop down here. You've got to kind of ease into things. And also, don't be afraid. And I tell this to everyone, especially my kids, students that I work with here at the university, don't be afraid to fail because you can learn from your failures and you can learn from that and just move on. I mean, look at you, Nate, from the standpoint, uh, you've uh, didn't do the magazines, but you went on and did greater things, right, Nate? Yeah, yeah. We, we gave up the magazine. Every time I walk into a <laughs> hotel and there's a magazine laying there, I go, thank God I never did that. You know, because you, you look at that, I'm like, I think people don't quite think through of, okay, there's a magazine, but how do you get to that magazine? Just just using that as, a, as an example of all the things that have to go in from writing the articles and doing the layout to, uh, oh, how do you get paid? Oh, yeah, you got to sell advertising. Oh, then what's your distribution? And then you're like, no, at least that was me, uh, but I wasn't wired for that. Mike, I, I appreciate the stories. I appreciate uh, going back in time with you from uh, your time in Mason City and Waverly and Waterloo and Fargo and and up in Mankato and reliving my scars of my uh, uh, travel magazine that that didn't that didn't happen. If that's you okay, Nate. We all and... have lots of scars, so that's good. <laughs> well, I think your biggest one is you had to work with Dan Benkin at once upon a time. That might be your biggest <laughs> scar along the way. But you know, going back, if you rewind and like you said, forty years ago is where your class reunion is coming up, and going back, what do you tell that graduate? That, that's leaving Mason City High School. What advice do you give that guy? I'm kind of having the same conversations with my daughter who's uh, 19 years old and she's at uh, Winona State. At this point, she has really no idea what she wants to be when she grows up. My recommendation is, is to get as much experience as possible, get as much knowledge as possible. And you know, one of the things that we're going through at my uh, current university is uh, moving from maybe that university type of setting where you got to do four years, you got to do six years to get that master's degree, maybe two more of a polytechnic where you are obtaining a certificate, you're obtaining badging, but just be open to new things, be open to learning some new things. Don't be afraid to take risks. Also to get something technical. And what I mean by that, I was afraid of quantitative analysis. Ooh, man, that's a big term when I went to college back in the 80s. I've learned it on the job, and I wish I would have learned more in college, but don't be afraid to do something different. Um, pick up some of those technical skills that you might need that you can grow with over the long term as far as your business or your career, um, and just be, just, just be open-minded. Be open-minded with people. Um, you know, don't be from a standpoint, afraid to do things and be afraid to do things differently. Because I think one of the best things that motivates me is that uh, when I first came to Waterloo, when I first came to Fargo, um, people said, ah, you're never going to get those organizations to cooperate. Well, here it is, almost uh, 25 years later, and they're still working together. Oh, you're never going to be able to get that tax district implemented. Well, here it is, almost 10 years later, and it's working. I think those are things that uh, drive me when somebody says it can't be done. Maybe it wasn't the time. 
Maybe you need to let it fail and then rebuild and go ahead and move forward. But um, I say have an open mind and don't be afraid to try new things and don't be afraid to fail. If you fail, make sure that you do it in the right way, that you're not going to lose your shirt in your back, that you can rebuild and then essentially relaunch as something else. Mike, great advice. I appreciate you being on the podcast. Sounds good, Nate. Everybody, again, thanks for listening and being on this journey. And please subscribe and share this podcast. It's called That's a Job. It's on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. The That's a Job podcast is presented by Career Venture Academy and the College and Career Discovery course. Discover the work you are wired to do. Now, go live your career adventure. If you haven't done so already, hit subscribe to enjoy future episodes. Build your career adventure at nateplayberg.com. Production assistance provided by Bill Jordan voiceovers. Visit billjordanvo.com. This podcast is a Need 10 Media production.